I took a look inside my heart, trying to find a part. We've been coming to Grace Point for, I guess, a little bit over a year and a half now. So I think it was right before Mother's Day mm -hmm. last year. And I can't tell you what a different person I am now. Before we started coming to Grace Point, I always felt like there was something missing. I mean, I just I felt like there was this void. And there was one time where I was sitting on our, our bathtub in our master bathroom, and I was just crying. And I said, I, I just, I'm sad, I'm depressed. I don't, I don't know why, but I am. And, it, you know, it, we started coming to Grace Point. We started looking for churches. We, yes. kn we knew that we wanted to find a church home. And then we started coming to Grace Point. Yes, we started coming to Grace Point. We came here like one time and then gave us like, what do you think? And this was after we had already gone to several other churches. And I'm like, I loved it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I know what's missing. Mm -hmm. Because after being at Grace Point for only, I don't know, six months, I accepted Christ into my life. And seeing her on that path was beautiful. Uh, it's such an amazing thing to watch someone you love, and Monica's an amazing woman. I didn't think she could get better. And to see her gaining her love for Christ and accepting Christ's love for her, and it just changing her from the inside out. It's helped us uh, grow closer together. Uh, we feel like honeymoons again. It's helped us be better with our boys and how we interact with them. Uh, just a total life change. You always hear the cliche of if your life hasn't changed since you've been saved, uh, you haven't been saved. And I never really understood that. But when we recommitted and, and first committed, it was a total life change. It was like, wow, you know, this is, this is a new beginning. This is a new start. I went to church growing up. I grew up in the Catholic Church um, and kind of went through the motions of stand up, sit down, you know, listen to the homily, but not really ever being challenged. So seeing her on her walk, I, I was on a very similar walk of saying, you know what, Lord, I'm sorry for all these years of sitting back and not really doing your will and doing uh, what you put me here for. Yeah, I mean, before I was just, I was in control. I was trying to control everything all the time. And that's really hard. I mean, that's hard on a person when you're a control person like that. And you can't control it all. You just can't do it. It drives you crazy. And I've been able to let that go. And it's been nice. <laughs> but, you know, the, the thing that non-believers find truly unbelievable is, you know, Christians who proclaim with their lips and deny with their lifestyle. And then we come in here and it's everyday people that, you know, they, they admit, hey, we've got struggles. We've got struggles. Uh, they admit, you know, we're sinners and we're sinners. And it's, but we found a way to, to cleanse our sins and to be better Christian people and to, to spread that message. And it's, it's awesome to see that not only are they speaking it while they're in here, you're seeing it while you're out and about too. Um, it's just, it's, we've been so blessed to, have become a part of this family of, of a church. Wouldn't you agree?
You know, we can try to alleviate, alleviate global hunger, and we are doing a small part. And that's absolutely uh, a small part, but in a nation in West Africa, we have taken on, and through your gifts, we've been able to work with another uh, uh, non-government organization to start in a production process of what's called Plumpy Nut or Peanut Butter Project. And this, this little bag of, of nutritional elements made up with peanut butter and formula will help the 38% of the children that are in this nation that are struggling from chronic, not, not malnutrition, but chronic malnutrition that will literally affect whether they live or die, or and if they live, whether or not they will have a full and meaningful life. But we're able to be a part of it because of your gifts and our commitment to, to the uh, under-resourced of this world to help out with that. That's exciting. Also, when you think about what we could do to help the impoverished of our own world in our own, in our own backyard, I love Greg Jenkins. It's, he has this passion, and I call him an insurance dealer in our area, but uh, as, he, as he's working and doing his own thing, he could be thinking about selling more insurance, but instead he comes to us with an idea to raise soap, to get hygiene products, to help out with families who are maybe under-resourced and can't buy the basic hygiene needs of life. This past year, though, through Greg's inspiration and desire, through a partnership with the Samaritan Center, through your giving, we raised 700 pounds of different hygiene products. Now, what was even, that was amazing in itself, as they came and they got and they kept picking up. But then what was amazing is that in our own fellowship here, there was, there was, there was a connection who had a connection with his own company that they were able to raise six pallets of soap from their own company to give to the Samaritan Center. They had more soap. We have the cleanest county uh, around. There's no reason people should be dirty uh, in northwest Arkansas. They took, it up to, they took it up to Joplin and so forth. Again, we can help with the global hunger. We can help with the impoverished. We can help with orphans. We have a team right now on the ground coming, uh, getting ready to come back from... Um from Zambia, uh, working, building an orphanage. We have families within our own church that have turned their home into a safe haven for people who don't have homes. And you'll hear in a few weeks, some of the families, not all of them, just some of the families that have made their homes a mission welcoming agency, if you will, that they're open and they're, and it's amazing to take care of orphans. These are all great ministries that we're a part of, that you're a part of, that we're a part of. But I'll tell you right now, if all we do is humanitarian work, the only thing we do is make this earth a better place to go to hell from. If we don't bridge the gap, if we don't help people connect with a holy, loving, righteous, caring, gracious God, then we have only done a part of the work. And when I think about the sconsored story... What a beautiful story. And again, there could be matched by multiple uh, people in this room right now. Uh, their story of coming to faith in Christ through your love, through your prayers, through your gifts, through your support, through your uh, ministry within our church. That is what we're about. We have been on a journey this past week. If you were with us last week, in fact, if you were with us last week, raise your hand. I want to see who was here. Raise your hand. All right, good. All right. We started a journey last week to reflect, to remember, to rekindle, to rethink, to revisit some of the things that God has done in our life over the past years. For however long that's been, for however long you went back, to think about what God's done in our church. But all of that was leading up 
to today. The day of remembrance, a week of remembrance to lead to this day, a day of remembrance when we go back and we think about a very special meal that God has instructed us through Jesus, has instructed us to observe. Now you see here up front a couple of tables. You'll see in the back a couple of tables. Maybe you noticed it when you came in. This is what some people call communion. Some people call the Lord's Supper. What's this about? What is it? What do you think when you see this? And I know we come from different faiths, different backgrounds. We're all kind of a mixed bag here at Grace Point. I want to bring us to one common understanding. What do you think when you see this meal? What do you comes to your mind? Maybe for you it's a skimpy meal. That's what it was for me when I was growing up and my mother told me we were going to have the Lord's Supper that night at church. I'm thinking, all right, the Lord's big. It's going to be a feast. And I got there and it was a, it was a fingernail loafer wafer, what loafer, wafer of bread, and it was a shot glass of grape juice. I was sorely disappointed in the Lord's Supper. I thought it was a skimpy little meal that uh, we were missing out on something. For others, it's a must-have meal. You got to have this meal. If you don't have this meal, then you miss you miss out on eternity. If you miss a meal, and the church offers a meal. It's almost a sacramental meal. I don't. I'm not there. All right. I think it's important, and I don't want to go to the other pendulum swing to say that it's an insignificant ritual in the church. Somewhere in the middle is where we need to land. Sacramental, no. Meaningless ritual of the church, no. It has so much more than that. And maybe today what we can do is is look at it. Look at it maybe from different angles. And as we get different angles and different looks upon it, maybe we'll have a deeper appreciation. Maybe there'll be clarity to it for us. And again, maybe it'll just rejuvenate something inside of us. So take your Bibles, be looking at the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Christ introduced the mill. Paul explained the mill in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As he's trying to get the Corinthian church on track. Now, it is like one verse after another, one chapter after another, trying to get this church on track. It's at least two letters that he wrote the church of Corinth. We have one and two, but there are many scholars who believe that there may have been even three and four letters that he wrote to the church at Corinth. And as you think about this letter that he is that he has written to them, he comes to this mill, and if it wasn't important, if it was an insignificant ritual in the church, He probably wouldn't have wasted the papyrus or the ink to write it out, some instructions for it. And so as he's writing this out, we've got to realize that this is important. This does have a place. And how do we need to see it and understand it? And so today the focus is not on myself. It's not on how you can walk out of here and live a, uh, have a happy home. It's about our Lord. And it's about our God. It's about our Savior. It's about the one who... Who, this connects it all together right here. And it's, 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 the, it's the bridge that brings us to faith in Christ, into a relationship with God Almighty. And that's why it's the most important thing. So let's look at verse 23 in chapter 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. I love that statement. I've read this passage, I don't know how many times in the past few weeks, but it was this morning about 5.30 in the morning when I was reading verse 23 again that it jumped off the page. I receive from the Lord what also I delivered to you. Our lives have got to be a conduit. You have been blessed. I've been blessed. You've been given to. I've been given to. You've received. I've received. But how much are we passing on of our faith, 
of our treasures, of, of our life, of our experiences. And so Paul is bringing himself as much to the table. But the Lord Jesus on that night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. And anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Notice the, the importance of this meal. Paul literally attributes sickness and death to inappropriately taking this meal. So may that heighten all of our awareness. Now look at verse 31. But if we judge, if, but if we, if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together... It will not be for judgment, but the, others, but the other things I will give direction when I come. As we think about this meal today, how can we see it? How can we look at it? And I just want to massage a couple of angles, if you will. If you might think about an intersection, you might see a fender bender in an intersection. you got four angles of that, of that one scene, of that one incident. Well, as we understand all of the various angles, what do we learn from this? So here's one angle to look at, and that is to look backward. To take some time to look back. And what do we need to look back on? He tells us in verse 23 to 26, and he tells us to remember. That's the key word, is that we need to remember. There needs to be a remembrance, a calling to a, of the mind or a, a, a drawing up inside of us. When he says in verse 20, 24, and when, when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He's given us himself. We should give him our minds. We should give him our thoughts. We should give him our lives. If he's given himself, then we should at least remember him. And then he goes on in, in verse 25, he says, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Remembrance And how do we remember? And what's the hard difficulties about remembering? And it's not about facts and figures, guys. It's not about that. It's, it's something deeper than that. He wants us to go there emotionally. He wants us to remember it deeply. He wants us to remember it personally. He wants us to remember it deep inside of us. But what happens, though, is the longer time goes on, and you know this in your own life experiences, the longer time goes on, there, there, there begins to be a softening of the emotions. 
Actually, time robs us of the motions from the moment. We just separate ourselves longer and longer from the tragic, from the, the high moments, from the low moments. It just begins to separate itself. What we need to do is we need to remember the emotions of the moment. See, with reason, you get conclusions. But with emotions, you get action. And what He's wanting us to do is to remember it deeply, emotionally. Because it was an emotional, tragic moment. It was not just a fact, a moment, a dot in history. It was big. It was huge. Go back to the night that Jesus introduced the Lord's Supper, as we call it, or communion, as we call it. Then it was called the Passover. Go back to that night with His disciples in the upper room. And He's giving them the meaning of this meal and the importance of this meal. And then, you know how intense it was after that? He goes out. And he literally is in such intense prayer and anguish and agony before he ever receives his first scourging. That literally the blood vessels in his body were hemorrhaging and he was sweating blood. Whenever his closest friends, those that he had ate with, slept with, invested his life, given himself to, his closest friends betray him. Have you ever been betrayed? Has your close friend ever betrayed you? Do you remember the hollowness, the emptiness, the brokenness, the loss that you experienced inside of yourself? And maybe to this day you're still trying to wrestle with the wounds of that harmful, hurtful past. Maybe it's a mother, father, grandfather. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's your husband. Maybe it's your wife. They hurt. Jesus' greatest, closest friends betray Him. And that was before he ever received one lash, one crown of thorn. And he does all of this. He goes through all of this intense pain. And somehow we get past the pain and we move on and we get very domesticated with our nice, clean, silver-polished communion cups. And I want us to go back and to remember the anguish of the moment. Go back to the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ. I don't know how you were when I, I went to the movie. and I mean, this amazing movie grossed 60, uh, $610 million, $25 million in the first five days. And I can remember sitting in the movie theater, eating my popcorn, going back for seconds, and then the movie starts. Man, I lost my appetite. It was intense from the get-go. I was a totally saw things totally different. All of a sudden, I was emotionally involved in that. I think we need to emotionally go back to the cross and look back. Because time robs us of the emotions. Time also robs us of the motivation, of the suffering. Do we realize that, that He went to the cross for you? He went to the cross for me. And sometimes I'm afraid we get lost in the present. That we forget that of the past. Italian artist Franchetti was a great artist that could paint beautiful portraits of people, and he tried as best he could, as an artist could, to get in it. And I'm not an artist, but I've talked to enough of them and know enough of them to know that when you're an artist, you have to get into the scene, you have to live in the moment. And he would get into the moment of trying to paint the crucifix and he would paint the people on the side. He would paint Golgotha. He would paint all of everything around. 
And then he would come to the cross and he would paint the cross and then he would paint the, the Savior on the cross. But you look at his paintings and he never finishes it. And it's told in history that he used to break down in tears when he would get into the cross and get into the Savior because he could not finish it. Because his hands would begin to shake, his lip would begin to quiver, he would begin to break down and sob. When was the last time we sobbed over our suffering Savior? We need to look back. We need to look within. We need to look deep inside of us. See, I don't know if you caught the passage there. I alluded to it just quickly, but when he tells us in verse 27 that we need to be very mindful of, of not taking this meal in an unworthy fashion. And, and he goes on, he tells us that we should examine ourselves. There's, there's something about preparing ourselves. That's what we spent this past week. If you were here last week, you, you know what we were talking about whenever we talked about remembering and taking the week to remember. And, and maybe you filled out that sheet of paper and maybe you just discarded it and forgot it and went on about your business. But all of it was a goal to get us ready for this week. Just to take the time to reflect on our life and to remember all that He has done. Because I don't want us to come sliding up to this table quickly and flippantly. I don't want us to slide up and take the cup and a, and a wafer and just to, to step back. And because it's some religious duty, I hope we come in a worthy manner. Because the, the question must be, okay, he tells us, don't do this in an unworthy manner. What does it mean to do it in an unworthy manner? What does that mean? What does it mean that we need to examine ourselves? He tells us that. Two things. Don't do it in an unworthy manner. Examine yourself. And I think about that unworthy manner, what that might look like. And, you know, you might prepare a great meal because you're having guests over. Now, we don't do that a whole lot these days. Typically, we go out to eat. But just, just imagine with me that dining room table, you know, and that dining room and that fine china you got when you were, wedding, when you were married, but you never have broken it out once. You know, let's, let's pretend for a moment that you're actually going to set out the place settings. You're actually going to have a fine dinner. And your kids come in from playing outside. They come in with mud on their face and mud on their hands and they run straight to the table and they plop down. Is that a worthy manner in your house? Is that an acceptable way to come to the table? No, you're going to dismiss them very sternly and tell them to go prepare themselves before they come to the table. To get clean, to put on, to get right. And I think what we need to do before we come to this table is we need to come clean. And we need to get clean. In an unworthy manner, he says, so how do we do this? We examine ourselves. We need to take time to remember. Our lives, we need to review our attitudes, our actions, and our, attitude, and our words. We need to repent so we can show God that we're serious about walking with Him. Now, how do you, how do you examine yourself? How do you go into that into that? kind of examination mode because we have to be careful that we don't do this too hastily, too quickly, too um, flippantly. Jeremiah 17.9 warns us of our own self. He said the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. Not a real positive view, right? And desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? I mean, we don't even know in our own selves. Yeah, I know my own heart, trust your heart, we say that all the time. But in the reality, what Jeremiah says is we don't even know our own hearts. 
it needs to be a two-way conversation between us and God because in the very next verse, and I love it, he says, but I, the Lord, search all hearts. You can't know your heart. I can't know my heart. So I need to get the Lord involved. And I need to examine my heart. I need Him to examine my heart. And we need to make this our prayer. Maybe before we come to the table today, search me, O God. Psalm 139, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. It's time to look in. Look in. To look back and to listen within our own hearts. We also need to look around. We need to look around. That may not be one of those things that you think of when you think of communion. You might think of your own spirit and your own relationship with God and your own communion. But you know, we need to look around. This was a meal to be celebrated in community. And we know the... We know what happens in community. We've experienced loss in our own community, a tragic loss this week. And some of you all know who I'm talking about. and know the loss that comes so quickly, unexpectedly, and how it hurts throughout and ripples throughout the community. We need to realize that we are community as we sit in this room together today. And notice what he said in verse 33. If you skip down there, he said, So then, my brothers, when you come together... To eat, notice that together, wait for one another. This is not a meal to be celebrated alone or in haste. This is a meal to be celebrated together. And hey, by the way, if you're hungry and your hunger pains are taking over, eat before you come. Alright? This is not about the meal. This is about the community. This is not about your, your satisfaction. This is about His satisfaction. It's about coming as a community in communion before the Lord's table. And so as we take a moment, we come together today, and I know a room this size, there's guests from out of town, it's a holiday weekend, and you're here today, and Rogers, you're gathered together, and you you may have people that you don't even know, but come together at the table today. And we have what's called, if you come from a different church, we have what's called open communion. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you know, we believe the kingdom of God is much larger than our church, then you are more than welcome, if you are in a right relationship with God, to come to our table. There are four tables around this room in the back and two in front, two in the back, two in the front. In the front. I want to encourage you to take a few moments because I don't want you to rush to the table. In fact, I want you to just bow your heads for a few moments. And I want us to get quiet and still. And I want us to take the time to make sure that we are in peace. We have peace with God. Peace with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are in good relationship with Him. And it's not a broken relationship. And we're not living here today with any unconfessed, unrepented of sin. And that we think if we come to the table, it's going to fix it. Because the table doesn't fix it. The Lord fixes it. This is a celebration of His fixing it. So just bow your heads and just clear your hearts and listen quietly. Seated ushers, if you'll come at this time. I want to... You might have noticed that I said there are four angles for us to look at. I want us to look at the fourth angle now as our ushers go ahead and take up our offering. Because 
as we look back, not just cognitively and factually that that God died for us, but we actually look back emotionally and let that wrestle inside and roll around inside our emotions and let it stir inside of us as we, as we look within and we make sure that our hearts are right. And I prayed with Harold just now at the steps as he, for the first time, asked Jesus into his life. And so that's an awesome thing. As you think about the moments that we have to look inside, sometimes they're so busy on the outside that we don't take the time to look inside. And we are instructed to do that. And then he tells us to look around because we're in a community here. Christ died for our community. And our community suffers right now. At times we rejoice, at times we suffer. And we go through those moments. But we also come and we need to look ahead. That's, that's where we need to go now. We need to look in, into the future. And in fact, when you come to this meal and you think about this meal, that's what he says in verse 27. Uh, in verse 28, he tells us, or excuse me, now verse 27, and, and verse, no, excuse me, verse 26, excuse me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Literally, if you think about this meal, this meal may seem so insignificant. And so, so much of a religious practice. And you know, truly, probably the person who most enjoyed this meal today was our Lord. He, he enjoyed it in, as He watched us because you got to realize that whenever Jesus observed the Passover, He said, I'll not celebrate this meal again. I'll not eat this bread again. I will not drink this cup again. I will not until the kingdom of God is established. He says that in Luke 22, verse 14 and following. He says, when, when the time came, Jesus and his apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I have I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you. Eager, excited about it. Before my suffering begins and... Verse 16, For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took the cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink the wine again until the kingdom of God has come. So I think as eager as Jesus was to celebrate the Passover with his disciples, just think for a moment, how eager after 2,000 years is Jesus to celebrate this meal with us? So as we do it today, let us do it in anticipation of tomorrow and doing it with our Savior because that will be the next time that He celebrates. It is a time of celebration. It's a time to definitely look forward as He comes for us. And the, the, the meal ended that night, the Passover meal ended that night, but it didn't just end. It says that they sang a hymn in Mark chapter 14. They sang a hymn before they went out to Mount of Olives. And so I think about how appropriate for us would be the last word that we say from this stage today. And the last words that you say from that seat today before you leave and go home is worship to our Lord. So let's stand together. Let's worship together as we go out together.